Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And uh, while you're finding your place there, I will mention one or two other things. Uh, Piedmont will have 10 scholarship athletic programs uh, coming up this fall. We have seven right now. So if some of you folks uh, know somebody or your athletes, come take a look at that as well. And one other thing that I want to tell you about Piedmont, and this is not always true in accredited higher education, but unlike a lot of schools in this country, our goal is to do the opposite of turning your child into an agnostic atheist socialist. All right, that's not our goal. We'll do everything but that if you'll send your student our way. All right. That uh, guy who gave the infomercial earlier took a lot of time, and so the preacher and I asked to kind of be fast. So listen quickly. I'm already hungry, and I'm ready to get out of here. So uh, I've heard where I'm going to go eat, and so now I'm even hungrier. And then he gets up here and talked about, talks about food in some place in South America. So uh, anybody else hungry? Yeah. All right. Anybody, you right, any of you right now, like, terrified that you're going to miss the uh, kickoff because the preacher's going to preach forever? So, all right. How many of you are not going to raise your hands no matter what I ask today? <laughs> this is a tough crowd right here. <laughs> wow, well, you have now found Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we'll look at the first 11 verses, but we'll begin by reading verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Let's pray and dive into this. Father, help us to understand your word. And then the really hard part, help us to do what it says. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so a question for you. It's right out of the Bible. What is your life? From James 4, what is your life? And the answer there is, yeah, it's short. It's like a vapor. It's like steam out of the kettle. It's here, poof, gone. Now, it's hard for young people to grasp that. Because when you're young, everything seems to be so long and drawn out, and everything's going to last forever. And you know, Will I ever be old enough to get my driver's license? Will I ever finish high school? Will that preacher ever stop preaching? I mean, everything just seems to be slow and drawn out. But if you ask any older person on earth, now they disagree about lots of stuff, but there's one thing they all agree about. Life is short. You get there a little faster than you thought. You know, just yesterday, we were looking at all those old people, and today I'm one of them. How did it happen so fast? And I think all of you will agree with me that uh, after we've been in heaven a couple of million years, if we were to choose to look back at this life, a vapor will seem like an exaggeration. That was nothing. It was like a grain of sand in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Not much compared to the whole thing. But I want to dig into the question a little bit deeper. What is your life all about? This short moment that you get on this planet. What are you living for? What's important to you? What do you dream about? What are your fantasies? Uh, if you daydream in church, some of you have already started that. You have no idea what I'm saying right now. <laughs> you're looking at me like you're paying attention, but you're gone. You go. Come back. Work with me. I'm going to be fast. 
If you're in bed at night, unable to go to sleep because you're imagining, you're fantasizing, you're wishing, what are you thinking about? And the reason I ask is because I am fairly convinced, and I, I think most of you will agree with me, that a lot of us spend up a lot of time and energy and effort pursuing things that seem awesome when we're going for them, when they're still out there in the future. They're like to die for. If I could only have one of those, man, that'd be cool. If I could get that job, if I could have that experience, if I could have that relationship, if I could get that award, if I could have that experience, life would be good. But often the very things that we think are so amazing when we're going for them, sometime later when we look back at them, we wonder why we thought that was so important. Because looking back, it doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, how many of us have a bunch of trophies from high school and we have no idea where they even are? I mean, from over there, that was so important, waiting for the big banquet. Woo! And now it's like, do we throw those in the trash or where are those? And, uh, you know, even younger people in the room can tell us about things they used to think was so important. I have two daughters, Alicia and Tiffany. We were missionaries for 10 years in the West Indies. Dawn and I started a little church planting movement down there. And we were on a little island that had no toy stores. And so I had a problem when my three-year-old daughter, Tiffany, came to me begging for me to get her a hobby horse. She had fallen in love. I think she found a picture. This is like a horse on springs. She just had to have one. And even though there were no toy stores, I knew that every year at Christmas, the hardware store and the grocery store, everybody imported a bunch of stuff, and they imported every kind of thing. And so I promised my daughter I would give her one for Christmas. Problem was, no one imported that. We only had one little city, a big town, and I went to every store. They didn't have one. They weren't going to get one. And this was before FedEx or Amazon.com or the Internet or any of that stuff. Had arrived. FedEx hadn't even arrived on our island. And if you wanted to have something shipped, it would take like six months to a year. And it was a couple weeks before Christmas. I had a dilemma. I had made my daughter a promise. She had been so excited. And I didn't want to disappoint her. Then I had an idea. Now, this turned out to be a dumb idea. I called my buddy Don in Puerto Rico, and I said, Don, I need a favor. He said, what do you need? I said, I need you to go down to Walmart, buy the best hobby horse they have, and put it in your little private airplane and fly it down here to St. Vincent, West Indies. And we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of miles in many countries apart. Don said, if you'll pay for the fuel, I'll be happy to do it. Well, having no idea how much aviation fuel costs and how many gallons a little single-engine plane can use up in a trip like that, I said, sure, and I proceeded to buy the most expensive hobby horse in the history of the world. <laughs> now, Tiffany was really excited Christmas morning. I mean, she was so excited. She got on that thing, and she rode it furiously. Her favorite word for several weeks was mine. My sister can't touch it. Neighborhood kids can't touch it. This is mine. This is my horse. In her little three-year-old mind, life was now complete. She had reached the pinnacle. She had everything she could ever imagine. But I noticed after a few weeks, it was okay for the sister and the friends to ride the horse. And then after a few more weeks, she wasn't riding it quite as much, and then hardly at all. And I was saying things like this. Tiffany Grace Pettit, get on that horse and ride it now. <laughs> or you will be punished. At least let me enjoy it. 
finally is gathering dust over there in the corner. Nobody's touched it for weeks. And we say, you know, the neighbors down here have a lot of kids. They don't have much. They'd probably love to have that horse. We could give it to them. Yeah, sure, Dad. Sure, Dad. After I put my life savings into it. But she was on to bigger and better things. We need a bicycle now, and then we need this, and then we need that. And I say all that because I think there's the very real danger that some people in this room may live their entire lives that way. Whether it's something you're going for now, if I could have that, man, that'd be great. And then you're going to get it, and you're going to look back, and you're going to say, I don't know why that was so important to me. Ah, but I'm going for this now. Why was that so important to me? Yeah, but I'm going to get this now. Why was, and you're going to get all the way down here to the end of life a lot faster than you thought possible. And one day, now you're getting ready to go meet God. And you look back over your life and you say, wow, that was fast, but I can't believe it. I just spent my whole life living for stuff that all looked really cool from over there. And from over here, it all looks kind of dumb. Now, that's the story of Ecclesiastes. That's the autobiography we read when we read that book. A man who had it all, lived for every kind of thing, and unlike a lot of us, he actually got everything he wanted to live for. He didn't just fantasize about it. I mean, he didn't have a horse. He had stables full of them. He didn't have a boat on the bay. He had a fleet of ships. Uh, he didn't even have a girlfriend. He had a thousand wives and concubines when you added up Solomon's collection. And he had anything he wanted. Unfortunately, along the way, his wanter got really broken. As a young man, he wanted God. He wanted to please God. He wanted to serve God. He was joyful in the things he did. Read about the dedication of the temple he built, full of joy, full of unbelievable energy for God. And he writes, while he's young, about the difference between wise people and fools in this book we call Proverbs. The wise person lives for the future. The fool lives for the moment. It's all about instant gratification. What I can have now, next week, next week, the week after that, the wise person says, I need to make decisions now for how they'll impact then. And then he promptly forgot his own advice and went after a pursuit of every kind of thing, looking for what ended up being fleeting moments of happiness. And so if you look back to the beginning of chapter 2, uh, of chapter 11, uh, we'll begin reading through these things he lived for. Verses 1, 2, 3, you see words like laughter, pleasure, wine. That's the life's a party philosophy. If I could have a lot of wine, women, and songs, Solomon thinks life's going to be great. And it does give him a lot of energy and fun for only a short while, and then it leaves him empty. Maybe the answer is in the pursuit of academics. Being eloquent. Verse 3 talks about his pursuit of wisdom. Verses 4, 5, 6, 7. Maybe the answer is in career success and personal accomplishments. And so he talks about all the different things he's able to acquire. Notice the plurals. It's not a house. It's houses. It's not a vineyard. It's vineyards. He seems to have eye disease. Verse 4, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees of all kinds. I made me pools of water. Verse 7, I got me servants and maidens. He says there in the middle of that verse, I 
had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. Someone has well said, only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And he went from pleasing God to pleasing self. Have you ever just like dreamed of getting suddenly rich? Has that ever been your fantasy? You know, the Reader's Digest sweepstakes truck pulls up. Or maybe it's the lottery truck. Or maybe somebody, you know, lost a dump truck load of gold and you found it on your back 40 and you know, nobody would claim it, so it's yours. Or whatever. You know, Solomon didn't sit around dreaming about that, wishing he had money. <laughs> he had more than he knew what to do with. Now, he writes about it in verse 8. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of provinces. Verse 8, he gets all the things, the exquisite pleasures that money can buy. Men singers, women singers, delights of the sons of men, music instruments of all sorts. Verse 9, he gets something many of us crave, fame. We'd like a little recognition. We'd like to score the winning touchdown or last second shot or whatever. We, we'd love to be famous, to have our name in lights. Or maybe just to walk into a conversation and be recognized by people, not be ignored. Uh, verse 9, he says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And verse 10 reads like the epitome of what our American dream has become. We think that our endless pursuit of stuff will somehow make us happy. Look what he says. Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Anything I saw, anything I fantasized about, I got it. I bought Queen Elizabeth's yacht. I bought a Mediterranean island. If he were writing today, he would have probably said stuff like that. And if this were the American dream fairy tale, the next verse would say, I died with the most toys, therefore I won. But this is not a fairy tale. This is a real man looking back at a real life with real regret. And so what he really says is what we read at the beginning, verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought. Now, this is not a young man looking ahead dreaming. This is an old guy looking back, having done it all and had it all. He said, I looked back on all that my hands had wrought, on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Two of the major themes of this book in one verse. Under the sun. If you choose to live your life, primarily for things down here. Not God, not heavenly things, but for things down here under the sun. Then one day you're going to conclude that it was all vanity. Now, I'm not a mind reader, but as a university president, I can guess what somebody can think. In fact, I'd like to read somebody's mind here and give it that attempt. Anybody like to be my volunteer so I can read your mind? One person, the bravest person in the room. Not another, anybody else? Uh, wow, well, are you, do you think weird thoughts or do you think normal thoughts? <laughs> Actually, I'm not going to be able to read her mind. I'm going to read everybody's mind instead. How about that? Can I do that? All right, I'm going to try that. Everybody think you're like your, your weirdest thought. You ready? Some of you are looking really skeptical and wondering who he brought to preach in church today. All right, I'm, I'm going to do it right now. You ready? Here we go. I am going to read your mind. I'm going to tell you not what you are thinking, but what I think you're going to think. In fact, I'm sure of it. 
I believe that every single person in this room is going to reach this conclusion sooner or later. You're going to reach the conclusion that God alone matters and that everything else is empty by comparison. Everything else is not sinful, everything else is not wrong, everything else is not even to be avoided. But compared to God, it's really empty. Now, I once read an illustration and realized I lived something like it, so I'll share it with you. I grew up on a dairy farm in the western part of this great state, Giles County, Virginia. When you're on a, mar- a dairy farm, you're kind of married to it. The cows are milked twice a day, and they don't take a Sabbath, and they don't take a holiday. So you really can't go anywhere. Milk the cows in the morning, you can't take a trip anywhere because you've got to come back and milk the cows again. But we did have free entertainment. Whenever it would rain, the rain would create these things called mud puddles. And we had a place to play. My mom wasn't all that excited about what it did to the clothing, but my brothers and I loved that playing in those puddles. Now, when I was 12 years old, hallelujah, they sold the family farm. And we had our first real family vacation. My dad bought one of those old cab over campers and put it on the back of the old pickup truck. And we headed off to a magical destination. Man, we were pumped. We were going to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. This was back in the days before seatbelt laws, and so my brothers and I sat in the cab over part looking through the little bubble window as tall as the tractor trailer. It was great. We got to Myrtle Beach. I started seeing this stuff called flat ground. It was really interesting. And we pulled into this place called Arrowhead Campground. And we made our way through a little sandy road, and we came out of the little trees, and for the first time in my life, I saw it. Now, I had been to school. I knew the ocean was big, but I wasn't ready for that big. Dad stopped the truck. My brothers and I scrambled out the back door, ran around in front of the truck, and just stood there gulking at the ocean. Wow, look at that. That is huge. Can you believe it? All the other tourists quit looking at the ocean and started looking at us. Rednecks. <laughs> but we didn't care. We were at the ocean. We spent a week swimming, playing. It was the grandest week of life. And I'm here to tell you that from the minute I first saw the Atlantic Ocean until this morning, I have never again been able to get excited about a mud puddle. They lost all interest to in me. I've been finding satisfaction in this little thing called a puddle when there was this other expanse called an ocean. Maybe why I was a missionary to an island for 10 years. I like the ocean. And some of you, right here, right in this room, are going to make the mistake of living your lives in this world's mud puddles. The problem with you is not that you like pleasure too much. The problem with you is that you're too easily pleased. Always grasping for the little trifles this world keeps dangling in front of you, using all your energy and effort and life to pursue them while you ignore this expanse called God. Or maybe he's something you tack onto your life on Sunday mornings and before meals. And my whole sermon is about don't tack God onto your life. Make him your life. So, 
It was called the Ice Bowl because it was 13 degrees below zero when the Cowboys and Packers took the field at Lambeau to play for the right to go to Super Bowl number two. Now, it was a nasty day, and it started cold and got even colder, so bad that players from both teams were badly frostbitten and had to have medical attention, and some of them had permanent damage. End of the game, fourth quarter, Cowboys ahead, 17-14. But Green Bay had the ball, and they marched all the way down to the field until they got to the Dallas one-yard line. They ran a running play, tried to run the ball into the end zone, but the Dallas line rose up and drove them back, second down. They tried another running play. The Dallas line rose up and drove them back, third down. And now Green Bay had another problem. The clock had run all the way down. There was only time left for one more play. Their very famous coach, Vince Lombardi, had a big decision to make. He was known, really, for being safe and conservative. Everyone expected him to kick the tying field goal, try to win an overtime. But he surprised the world by calling for one more attempt to go for it, try to score the touchdown and win. Maybe everybody was so frozen they just needed to end the game. Well, the call came into the huddle. Quarterback sneak over right guard. If you're not into football, that means the center is going to snap the ball to the football, and that lineman, that right guard, is going to try to create a hole in the defense. They had not been able to do that on the previous two plays. He was going to try to create a hole in the defense, and the quarterback would just try to run into that hole and score the winning touchdown. That right guard was Jerry Kramer. He later wrote a book. He described the moment as that call came into the huddle. He said, my pulse leaped because I knew our entire season came down to one play and my ability to do my job. One last time, Dallas lineman and Green Bay lineman, eyeball to eyeball over one frozen yard of Green Bay turf. If they could move that ball 36 inches, the Packers were going to the Super Bowl. 35 inches or less, they were going home in defeat, and the Cowboys were going to the Super Bowl. The ball was snapped to Green Bay's famous quarterback, Bart Starr. Kramer did what he'd been doing all game long. He drove the Dallas line back into the end zone. You can go to the Akron uh, NFL Hall of Fame and see this on a huge screen, or you can just do it on your phone in five seconds. <laughs> he created a huge hole, and it was extremely easy for Bart Starr to just walk into the end zone for the winning touchdown. Kramer on the ground said, I knew we'd won. I didn't need to see the signal. I heard the Green Bay crowd go crazy. I had done it. I had carried my team to the Super Bowl on my shoulders. And that's when it happened. Really frustrating. He said, I watched my teammates grab Bart Starr and pick him up on their shoulders. <laughs> and my teammates started yelling, Bart, Bart, Bart. My other teammates on the bench came running out, and they made a bigger huddle, and they all started yelling, Bart, Bart. The crowd picked it up, Bart, Bart. Oh, I can't believe it. Why is he getting all the credit? My great-grandmother could have gone through that hole I just created. <laughs> he said, I was frustrated until I looked over at the Green Bay bench that was now empty except for one guy. Standing there by himself is legendary coach Vince Lombardi, having just coached his last game at Lambeau Field not looking at the scoreboard or the teammates, the crowd. 
just looking at me, waiting to make eye contact across that field. He said, when our eyes met across that field, Lombardi gave me the biggest thumbs up and smile I had ever seen. He said, it suddenly didn't matter what anybody else in the world thought. The one guy who mattered had noticed. He said, I jumped up off of that field with new energy, and I ran over and joined my teammates, and I started yelling, Bart, 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 like everybody else, because the one guy who really mattered noticed. God alone matters. Don't add him to your life. Make him your life. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.